If you are, in fact, visiting with us this morning, I want to remind you here at Calvary Chapel, we teach systematically through the entire Bible. And because of that, we cover every chapter and every verse, and we do that sequentially as we travel through the books of the Bible. And this morning we are here in 1 Corinthians in chapter 7, and the subject matter is a mature one. Uh, We need to cover it because it's in God's Word. If God put it in there, we need to study it. And so I want to encourage you, if you have children that are uh, under the age of 13 this morning, it's probably not appropriate they be here in the sanctuary, but rather in an age-appropriate class, uh, which we have located throughout the rest of the facility. So in light of that, I want to turn our attention now to the Word of God. I want to thank you, those of you who last week sent me so many uh, gracious and kind emails. I got uh, more than a dozen of them thanking me for uh, attending unto this very difficult subject uh, in a way that was meaningful for you. And I hope to add to that this morning. Because as we come to the remainder of this particular passage, which really is on uh, sex within marriage, it is probably one of the things in our culture that causes the breakup of more marriages than anything else. And I will tell you that that relationship that is the sexual portion of the relationship is merely the symptom of other things, but it is very often ultimately the cause. And so because that's true, maybe this morning your relationship with your husband or your wife is just absolutely stellar and fantastic in this particular area. Praise God, hallelujah, and thank you, Jesus. One of the reasons that Scripture says the things that it says is for this reason, that we ought to know how to give an answer for the hope that lies within us for every man who asks. And so this can be a time for you to be strengthened, as you may have to talk to your children or maybe your nieces and nephews, maybe your brother, maybe your sister, maybe a friend, maybe a neighbor. And so from a biblical perspective, this is a very important subject. It is not the sum and total of marriage, and I want to make that very clear. It is but a component part, but it's a beautiful part that God designed to be wonderful. And so is it difficult to teach on? I can tell you as a pastor, absolutely it's difficult to teach on. It's hard to strike the balance to know what to say and what not to say. Uh, How to best uh, make analogy and reference to this area of life is always difficult. It's especially difficult when you're attempting to be all things to all men, to the Romans, Romans, and Greeks, Greeks, and to make it suitable for the hearer, as Scripture says that we should do uh, as we're teaching the Word. And so I beg your indulgence as we cover another study here in a tough subject. I believe it will be good for us. I will do my very best to make it uh, such that it will glorify the Lord in all things. I will attempt to be uh, as neutral as I possibly can. And I appreciate you as... I am teaching you praying for me because it is a tough subject. And I thank you for doing that. And in doing so, I believe the Lord has a message for us this morning. And so would you pray with me as we ask God to speak. Father God, we come again and just humbly set aside the cares of the world, the 
rush of the week, the things that have occupied our hearts and minds. And and we've come to hear from you this morning. And God, as this is a difficult subject, we pray that you would uh, bring a measure of peace and gentleness and kindness and appropriateness, Lord, to all that's said this morning. Pray that I would not be visible, but you would be visible, that your word would go forth with power, that you'd help us, Lord, to receive by the power of the Spirit all that you would have for us as the church. We ask these things in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. I have one quick announcement I do want to give you this morning. In two weeks, um, for those of you who know, I'm still an assisting pastor at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. My duties include overseeing the camp. One of my other duties is I oversee our facility in Brazil. Uh, I have been called to go down there and teach at the Bible College uh, in a couple of weeks. And on Sunday, you're going to have Dr. Walter Bramson here. So i uh, just let you know ahead of time that will be on the 22nd of July. So. I want to really uh, encourage you to be here for that as a blessed brother in the Lord. So uh, he'll be filling in for me while I'm teaching 45 times in six days. So uh, book of Romans, book of Revelation, and apologetics all in one week. So you can pray for me that my voice holds out. I want to take just a very quick, brief dash back to verse 1. And it says here in 1 Corinthians 7 and in verse 1, and now regarding the questions you asked me in your letter, Yes, it's good to live a celibate life. And so he makes a very plain statement. It's okay to be single. And we need to remember that. Some people have been called to singleness. And we want to balance everything, as I said last time. And the reason I spent so much time on that issue, balance everything with grace. Balance everything on that wall. Walk that place of grace. Don't fall off to the legalism side. Don't fall off to the libertine side. Stay in the balance of grace and recognize that this particular area and aspect of life and of living has a very broad application. And what may be good for one couple or one person may not at all be good for the next couple or the next person. And those things which are true in one marriage may well not be true in another marriage. One of the things that I get involved in very often is trying to help people work through marital difficulty. And I can tell you, though, very often some of the root causes are the same. The applicational way that those have manifested themselves are very often different. And something that goes on in one marriage uh, may have absolutely no effect in someone else's marriage. Something that one wife is perfectly comfortable with, another wife may not be, or husband likewise. And so remember to walk the walk of grace and to walk the walk that is the balance of the middle ground in these difficult subjects. Because if you take the legalistic side, you will fall off the wall. If you take the libertine side, you will fall off the wall. The drop's the same. You're just going to land in something different. Amen? It's good to live a celibate life. But because there's so much sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. And we need not belabor it. It's very clear that at least to some degree what the apostle is writing here, what we studied last time and what needs to be brought forth now as we move forward is that human sexuality is designed by God. And one of the ways that he's designed us to deal with that Uh, is through the marital union. Another is celibacy. 
Those two things are not the same, very obviously, amen? One is a gift, the other is a gift, and they are given to people. And if you have the gift of celibacy, wonderful. You have the ability to serve the Lord in ways that married people cannot. As I shared with you last time, there are so many things that a celibate, unmarried person can do that I can't do. I have a wife, I have a home, I have children, I have responsibilities, which, by the way, God says I am supposed to take care of. It's not the state's responsibility to take care of my family. It's my responsibility to take care of my family. So once I'm married and once I enter that marital relationship, I have a set a paradigm, if you will, that is in regard to a married man's mission while he's here on this earth. It is my responsibility to raise my children in the training and the admonition of the Lord. I can't do that by leaving them here in this country for somebody else to take care of while I travel around the globe doing whatever. And one of the great faults in ministry is that very often pastors take up almost the issue Uh, of ministry as if they were celibate and single, and they are not. And it's one of the reasons that very often pastors' children end up in a huge mess because pastors don't raise their own kids. They leave them to be raised by somebody else. That is not what Scripture says. And so in the sense of a married relationship, Part of that married relationship is the physical part of that relationship. As I shared with you last time, the legalistic group said this, man, just don't touch a woman. Don't get near him. Some people take that so far as to say, I saw you hugging another woman. Yeah, it's because we're friends. It's not saying you can't touch as in, ooh, another woman. It is a euphemism for sexual intercourse. That is what's being said here. Off limits for everyone, everywhere, at all times. Sexual relationship belongs in marriage, marriage alone, and nowhere else. The word that's translated most often in the Greek language of the New Testament that's used for all types of different things, it's used for adultery, it's used for fornication, it's used for lasciviousness or uh, sexual things that are, that are apart from a marriage relationship, is pornea, and it's used in a very broad sense. It is always used in the context of the relationships being spoken about. So if it's in the context of marriage then it's adultery. If it's outside of marriage, it's fornication. But it's exactly the same word. Do you understand what I'm saying? So from God's perspective, the sexual relationship that any person is to have with any other person from God's perspective only is within marriage, period. It belongs nowhere else doesn't belong in dating, it doesn't belong in cohabitation, it doesn't belong in trial marriage, it doesn't belong in open marriage, it doesn't belong in testing to see how sexually compatible you are with somebody before marriage. It belongs nowhere but marriage, period, from God's perspective. God makes that clear. Our society 
And unfortunately, a lot of Christians blur that line. And that's why this subject is so important. He's going to ask, be answering some questions that were asked him. And I think it's important that, that we put this in the context of our day and time. I have to do this on a weekly basis. People call, oh, you know, my husband said this, my wife said that. This happened in our relationship. Hey, we're living together. And, and one of the things that I will just tell you, if you come to me and you, you come as a, as a couple and you tell me, Jeff, I would like you to perform our, our marriage ceremony, one of the first things that's going to be said to you is, are you living celibately currently? Because if you tell me no, I'm going to tell you I won't do your wedding. Because you're not honoring God. And what I'm doing then is putting a blessing on what you've done that's wrong. Now what I will tell you is, you two split up. You go live with your friends. You go back to your mom's house. You go do whatever you need to do. Make that right with the Lord so that when we come together and do marriage counseling, I'm not putting my stamp of approval on what God said is wrong. I won't do it. I'm not for hire. You, you can't get my blessing by, well, we'll pay you. I've actually had people say that. <laughs> well, how much does it cost? There is no price. There's no amount of money you can give me. I don't need it. Don't want it. I want you to be right with the Lord. And because I want you to be right with the Lord, I want you to start on a footing that's honoring to God. And so I will tell you, you know what? We need to break that up. I won't point fingers. Uh, and I won't try and make you feel guilty about it. I'll just say, if you want God's best, give him yours. You've got to give him yours. And that's all of you. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. Singleness is not for everybody. And I think one of the problems that we have in our nation is the role of dating in our society. Amen? Because dating in our society has become trial marriage. It's, oh, well, we hung out together for two weeks, and now we're going to get physical. Let me share something with you that, that I have in literally thousands of occasions had the opportunity to speak on with kids. The reason that they give most often is they don't know what to expect of marriage because mom and dad haven't told them. Oh, the schools told them. You know what the school told them? Girls, go get your HPV shot because we know you're going to be sexually active. And guys, if you're going to have sex, make sure it's safe sex. That's what they're going to get told by the world. That's why I'm teaching this this morning. It belongs in the home, not in the school. And if it doesn't come from you, I guarantee you the enemy will tell your children what to do with their sexuality. So if you're a parent, hear the message and talk to your kids. Remind them, because if you don't, their friends are going to tell them something else. Their girlfriend, their boyfriend is going to tell them something else. Make sure that this area of life is where God wants it. That is why long-term dating relationships between 15, 16, 17-year-old kids are about as dangerous as matches and dynamite. 
Okay? And I'm going to make some of you really upset. If you allow your kids to stay in long-term dating relationships from very early age, you are setting them up for temptation and failure. Now, you may not like the fact that I just said that, but the statistics prove it out. Nationally, Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta say that a dating relationship started anywhere after age 13 that continues for more than one year, the chances of it turning sexual are 95%. Take a stand. So you know what? I love you enough to save you from that which Scripture says will harm you. Tough, isn't it? We need to hear it, family. Because the church, unfortunately, waffles on this subject. And very often I get this word from, well, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of a, you know, they're going to do it anyway. I hear that from Christians, family. I hear that from well-intentioned Christian parents. I don't know what to do. Let me tell you what to do. Take a stand. Be a parent, not a peer. Be the voice of Christ in your children's lives. Dare to be bold enough to say, look, honey, if you go down that road, it's going to be really dangerous for you. And the chances of you surviving it without severe damage to your heart, to your mind, to your psyche, to your emotions is almost slim and none. Now, having said that, is there anything inherently wrong with, with boyfriend and girlfriend? I would have to say no. If you've been given the gift of celibacy and if... It's not going to be a temptation for you. And if you're not going to play house. Now you take those ifs and you tell me how dangerous it is. It's dangerous. And we need to be bold enough to say, please. Because verse 3 is going to go on here in just a moment and use the words uh, from the New Living in, in reference to sexual needs. We have been created by God with a sex drive, both male and female, of those things which keep us alive, according to scientists, according to doctors, according to those who study such things, it is the fifth strongest drive in your body. The other four, I would tell you, keep you alive. There is a drive to breathe and eat and take in water. All of those things which we would look at and go, wow, I need those. Number five is the human sex drive. It's very powerful. It's not to be trifled with. It's not a toy, in other words. It has been given to us as a gift by God. You see, this passage becomes very clear that we are urged, one might even say commanded, that within marriage, that the sexual relationship has actually been not just a, it's not an option. 
It isn't one of those things, well, you know, we just don't really like that. That's a very rare couple. Not saying it can't happen. But from God's perspective, it's a need. It is a desire, it is a drive that's within almost all human beings. We can't ignore it. To ignore it is foolishness. It's silly. And it's very dangerous. I remember when I was a very young Christian, and for those of you who know, Connie and I actually met at El Cajon First Baptist Church. We both attended there. Uh, we dated and courted for a period of time. We were married there by a, by a very dear saintly uh, pastor, Dr. Thomas Nosworthy. And I remember, show you how times have changed, when I uh, went in because we had pr- mandatory premarital counseling and the, the two times that we went together was, was pretty much, so you're going to get married. And I said, uh-huh. Now that glazed look in my eye. But he, he gave me a copy of a book, A Man with a Maid. It was written in 1909. 1909. By a guy that, quite frankly, I, I think wasn't actually aware of what Scripture said in a lot of cases. And it was good because it, it laid out some of the biblical principles that we find, but it was very far off in this one regard. It made it very clear that the only time that people in marriage would ever have sexual relations was when they wanted children. That was the basic context. And I, I heard that message, and because of who spoke it, I mean, this is Dr. Thomas Nosworthy, And because this is a well-respected book, I had a very misguided understanding of this particular topic for quite some time. Family of God. I, I need not discuss with you the physiology of the human body, but let it suffice to say that that's not true. There is a vast majority of your body's surface that are covered with what we know as erogenous zones, and they were designed to experience pleasure, period. Now, if God designed them, and God put them there, and God made them all things he said, good, amen, what do you think he wants in marriage? But that's the only place he wants it, is in marriage. It was designed by God to be wonderful. I want to give you three books if you feel like you need further reading on the subject. Uh, Waiting for the One by Dan and Nicole Lights. Dan and his wife are friends of Connie and I's. Uh, God's Design for Marriage by Bill and Danita Stonebreaker, also another good one. He's the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Honolulu. And then The Way of Agape by Chuck Mitzler. In any of those books, more detailed than I care to give on a Sunday morning. But let's suffice to say that it's good. And so now, Paul goes on, verse 3, the husband should fulfill, and I'm reading again from the New Living because it's highly accurate in our modern context. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. And notice verse 4, the wife gives. And I want you to pause there for a second because this is really the crux of this issue. Sex within marriage is a gift to be given. 
Sex within marriage is a gift to be given. It is not to be taken. It is not your right. It is a gift to be given. The moment that it becomes anything other than a gift, it will diminish the beauty, the holiness, the wonder, the spectacular nature of what God designed. You have been given in marriage partly as a gift physically one to another within marriage. You're a gift. And can I say to you, there's a lot of different things that are gifts. And I want to help bring analogy to this. You know, when you talk about people, what they want, what they want as a gift. Connie came to me and she said, for Mother's Day, I'd like a new kitchen counter. She thought that was an awesome gift. Some of you ladies like chocolates. Some of you ladies hate chocolates. Some of us guys like chocolates. Some of us guys hate chocolates. Most of us guys like guns. We like knives. Anything that can explode. Great gifts. If you want to get us something, get it. Anything that goes bang. When you think of gift, open your mind and apply it to your physical relationship with your spouse. You yourself are a gift to be given. And at times, various gifts are appropriate. Amen? It can be all kinds of things. And so we don't need to belabor it. Think of it as a gift. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to the wife. Very clear. And it's not in the sense of ownership. Please understand that. The language that's being used here is that that gift is being handed to your spouse. It's yours, honey. All that I am, everything I am, all that I can ever be physically in this area of life, here's the gift to you. And I want it to be wonderful. Again, let me refer you to the analogy of a gift. If you buy a gift, do you put it in a manure bag? You don't, do you? At least I would hope you don't. You don't go down to Home Depot. Hey, I'm packing up some gifts. I want to put them inside of a manure bag. No. You go and get nice wrapping paper and you get ribbon and you put a card on there. Again, picture these things because it helps you understand what God intends. If we are gifts to be given one to another within marriage, then let's wrap the gifts appropriately. Let's make sure that when they're beheld, wow, I'd really like to see what's inside of that. You see, it's a gift. And he goes on, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Is that simple enough for you? One of the the great things that I have to deal with that's problematic in marriage in this area of life is taking what is supposed to be a gift to each other, each spouse one to the other, not a right but a gift, and saying, you know what, I'm not going to give you that gift. Not only am I not going to give you that gift, I'm going to use that gift as a weapon. I'm going to use that gift as a bargaining chip. 
I'm going to use that gift to get whatever I want out of you. Can I say to you, if you want to destroy your marriage, do that. If you want to destroy the intimacy in your life, take up that practice. Because you have been given by God as a gift. You need to know who the giver is. God said, you're the gift to your spouse. You belong to him, amen? He's the one actually giving the gift. You're kind of the pass-through, if you will. You belong to the Lord. We've already seen your body belongs to the Lord. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. God owns you, and God is saying, I gave you to your spouse. Don't withhold my gift. Don't hold back. Now, in saying, the moment I say that, I get the two extremes. And I get the the questions, which we will not answer this morning. You see, if you're a gift, who has control over the gift? Because remember, you're the gift. The giver, amen? The giver has control over the gift. Who has secondary control over the gift? The getter. The giver? The getter, (laughs) if you will. Who doesn't have control over the gift? The gift itself. Is that simple enough for you? So in marriage, I don't have any right to say, I'm the gift and I'm staying right here. (laughs) You're a gift. The giver says give. You're supposed to give. And the giver's responsibility is to receive that gift. In other words, all of it comes off of you. It's not your right. You are a gift. The giver gives it. Your spouse gets it. That's why you can't use your relationship physically with your spouse as a tool, as a weapon, as a reward, as punishment. You cannot do that. To do so destroys the gift aspect of it. Now it's no longer a gift. You control it. And when you control it, guess what it becomes? Simple word begins with S, second letter E. Selfish. Now it's about what you can get and what you can do. And how about pleasing me? And the moment you do that, it ceases being a gift. Amen? It's just like Indian giving. Oh, I don't want you to have it. That gift's too good. I'm keeping it for myself. You ever had that to where you give somebody something and you're just like, man, I wish I'd have kept that. It's okay. You can be honest. I think we all have. It's like, that was too good for him. I should have spent less money. The same thing's true with your physical relationship. You're going to have times when you're going to think wrongly, but you need to act rightly. Because you see, what your spouse can see is the actions. They can't read your mind. And there are going to be times when your head's not correct. Do the right thing. He goes on, For afterwards you should come together again, notice this, so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. How many of you remember that in marriage the two shall become one flesh? Amen? 
So what happens to your spouse happens to you. So the moment you begin to do things that are not beneficial for your spouse, do you think that you're going to be untouched by those things? The answer is no. If you harm or hurt your spouse in any way, mentally, emotionally, physically, if you harm them in any way, you're harming yourself. Now let me share with you another context of this aspect of it being a gift. If it is in fact a gift, what is the one thing that we, especially as children, look forward to? We call it reciprocity, amen? That as you give a gift to someone else, they give a gift to you. What does it produce? It produces more gift giving. Amen? (laughs) So the answer to these problems is not more, I want what I want and I'm going to take it, but I want to give more. And the result of that is your spouse is so enraptured with that giving that they also want to give. You try to outgive each other. That's pretty awesome. Amen? That's really it, family of God, because now you've set up inside of your marriage the holy thing that God has designed. And he says, you know what? I want to give myself fully to the pleasure of my spouse. And in doing so, that produces a desire in my spouse for reciprocity. I want to try and now give. That was wonderful. So I want to be wonderful. But if you take something You go out and steal somebody's bicycle. How many gifts do they give you? The answer would be zero. You might, well, you might get a gift of a knuckle sandwich. But the problem is with with this aspect of life, you can't take it. It can't be selfish. The moment you do, you destroy it. You break what actually makes it great. And so he says, you don't want to be tempted because of your lack of self-control. That is why when people come to me, well, you know, uh, I just don't think that I'm up to it right now. That's very dangerous ground because that means you're looking at it selfishly. That means it's about you. Don't forget you are the gift. The giver has given it. You're supposed to make sure the getter gets it. I'm trying to be very gentle here. You can't withhold. Why? Because it'll destroy your relationship. Here's how we know that. Back to the gift analogy. Suppose you're at Christmas morning, one morning, and you're sitting there, and every single person in your house gets a present but you. How do you feel? Don't love me. Don't care about me trying to hurt me, if you are the gift, the giver's given it, what do you think your spouse is going to think if you say, "Uh uh-uh, nah, they are going to come to the same conclusions. They're going to go, they don't care. I must have gained too much weight. I don't love me anymore. It's part of your love relationship. And if you begin to hold back parts of your love relationship, that gift that you are to be given, then you will destroy the emotional attachment. You will destroy the psychological attachment. You will wipe out your marriage. 
you'll gut it from the inside. Be careful. Share these things with your children. Don't let them get caught up in the selfish walking down the magazine aisle at Walmart. Your brain is going to be assaulted with with exactly the wrong way to handle all these things. Your kids are being told the wrong way. They're not being told the right way. Make sure they know what it's about. I say this as a concession, not as a command. But I wish everyone were single, just as I am. Why did Paul say that? We know he was part of the Sanhedrin. And as such, he would have been required to be married. He voted to kill Christians. So we know that at some point in time, with relative certainty, that Paul was at one point in time married. He's not married now. And I think the reason he says it, it's tough. Because you've got to give up the selfishness, amen? It's hard to be a gift all the time. I'm a pretty lousy gift at times, you know? I, I think all of us who've been married for a point in time, we can look back on our lives and go, man, I could have done that better. And we could add all kinds of things to that list, amen? Because we're not perfect. We're human beings. Paul's simply acknowledging the human factor in this. That this is hard. Because there are going to be times, well, you know, she doesn't deserve the gift. He doesn't deserve the gift. Said something to me. It's why it's so important to not let the sun go down on your wrath. Amen? Get those things squared away before you, in the evening, in the day. Because... Like it or not, you're not just flesh and bone. You're also mind and you're also spirit. And what you ruin in the flesh often has a great toll on the mind and the spirit. You, you can't separate those parts out. People try and do that. Well, you know, it's just a physical. No, no, it's not. Sexual relationship is not just physical. That's the world's view. That's what leads women to believe that their body is their own body and they can do with it as they please. That's why the abortion issue stands where it stands today. It's just mechanics. It's not. It's mental and it's emotional and you can't erase this bad boy. You bear those marks forever. Ask anyone who's ever struggled in this area. How tough that is. But God gives some the gift of marriage, others the gift of singleness. And so I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better for you to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, in other words, if you have desire, it's not talking about somebody being a pervert. I had a guy come to me, oh, look, it looks like they're all perverts. Not perverts. It's God-given, God-designed human sexuality. If that is not in check in singleness, then you need to be married. That's all it's saying. That's all it's saying. It's not saying anything more than that. If you're not good at being single, then be good at being married. I should go ahead and marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with lust. Basically, what it's saying is you're going to have those thoughts. If you have those thoughts and those thoughts are not controlled by the Holy Spirit and you're not good with singleness, get married. Because it's the only place that God allows for this beautiful gift situation to occur. It's not hard to understand. The problem is, is sometimes we don't like what it says. 
Very often I have people, oh, I don't like that. I can't tell you how many times I've had both husbands and wife. Well, I don't like what it says. Well, that's tough. You're not God. And neither am I. I didn't draft these words. God did by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. I'd encourage you, you know, read the book of the Song of Solomon, eight chapters of just this exquisite beauty of sensual and sexual love. It explains very clearly how beautiful God intends it to be. But you know what? You can't demand it. When someone uses the verbiage that's used in the world, well, I have my sexual rights. Your sexual rights are these as a Christian. You are a gift to be given. That's your sexual right. And if you submit to that, then everything else takes its place. But the moment you begin to demand anything, because gifts can't demand, then you come away from that position of being a gift. And when you stop being a gift, then it's about who can outtake who. Anybody ever seen a relationship that that's the basis of it, that it works out very well? Who can out-rob who? Who can out-defraud who? Who can out-steal who? Do you get the picture? You see, it's actually very simple. Paul beautifully puts these things to rest. In essence, this is a, a beautiful picture, and it is a picture of our relationship that we have with the Lord. Because it, in essence, is out of your control. Amen? For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. See the gift again? In other words, in marriage, your physical relationship, sexual intimacy, is very much like your relationship with the Lord. It's out of your control. God designed it. And he gave you away. You said yes in that marriage relationship. And you've now been given to your spouse. You don't have control anymore. I don't have control anymore of my life. I'm going to heaven. Amen? And praise God, that was because of a gift. Amen? It's the same thing in your physical relationship. You've been given away. Pictures grace for us in a, in a wonderful way. That's why trying to meet your own needs or being selfish about this area of life never does what you think it's going to do. It becomes something that's just simply mechanical. There's no emotional attachment. There's no spiritual attachment. It, it isn't good. That's why when people go, well, you know, it's just, you know, we're just having a tough time. Well, you're adding to the tougher time you'll have later. Because the more distanced you are, the harder it is. The further apart you are, the worse it becomes. And the only way to become close is to get back to being a gift. You can't unilaterally take action on your own behalf. And so very often I hear this in marriage counseling. And I'm trying to do away with my marriage counseling right now. I want to tell you that straight up. I am doing this because I hate this kind of marriage counseling. Okay. Group marriage counseling session. But you can't unilaterally act as a gift, can you? <laughs> well, we have a gift union, and we all voted. And we're just not going to do this anymore. 
that's kind of like the hyper-women's movement right now. We all took a vote, and we don't believe that that's what it says. We're just going to take it back. And the same thing is true for male chauvinists, okay? Let's be really equal and fair here. When a man demands his rights, men, if you want to destroy your wife, demand your sexual rights. If you want to destroy your wife, you go right ahead. And then call me once she says you're an idiot. And you need counseling. Imagine a gift box on Christmas morning just grabbing onto its own tape and wrapping. You're not unwrapping me. You see, we have to make sure that we're well-pleasing to the Lord. Three very simple things I want to leave you with. If you want this area of your life to be right, number one, love God. Love Him supremely. Do what His Word says. Think of what He would think of before you think of what you would think of. Love God. If you love God, He's going to be going, you're being a knucklehead. Or if you're doing it right, he's going, yes. If you love God, eliminates a vast majority of the problems. Second ingredient is the discipline of self. It's being spirit-led. The discipline of self for a Christian is to be spirit-led. That's how I discipline myself. I love God first, and I say, God, I want you to also, in Jesus Christ, be my Lord and discipline me. I don't want to continue to do these things that just please me. I want God first, and because I want God first, I want me to do what God wants, not what I want. We call it self-discipline, but it's really Holy Spirit discipline. Be disciplined in the Spirit and say, God, I want to be the perfect gift. I want this area of my life to be totally in submission to you. And then finally... Mutual respect. Because if you look at Ephesians chapter 5, it's very clear, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. It's mutual respect that breeds trust, that brings about those beautiful relational values that we have in marriage. See, if I love God, I'm disciplined in myself, and I have mutual respect me for my wife and she for me, then this area of your life will be good. Without it, it's pretty tough. I want to encourage you. This is not some subject that gets, should be swept under the rug because you're going to be confronted with it. You're going to be challenged in it. Take that challenge to do things God's way. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I want to pray for the marriages represented here in this your house this morning. And God, I also want to pray for those who are single this morning, hearing these words. And Lord, I want to pray that if your plan for them uh, is to be married, that you begin to show them and prepare them and, and groom them, Lord, for that spouse, that love of their life, Lord, that uh, bride of their young age, that, that husband that would be that... Uh, completion. We pray that you would work in these areas of our life. Help us to be pure. Help us to keep you first. 
Help us to keep our own selves under control by your Spirit's power and help those of us who are married to respect our spouses, uh, Lord, with an everlasting love. Help us to be gifts, Lord, completely under your control, ready to be given as you see fit. Lord, we love you. We thank you for challenging passages of Scripture like this that, uh, Lord, bring into question the ways of the world and, and bring us back to that place uh, that you intend. And so, Lord, if there's something out of whack, God, we invite you to fix it. Bless us, we pray. We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't you stand and let's worship our King.